Welcome to the Brian Kane Peak Performance Podcast. On each and every episode, Brian talks with coaches, athletes, and performers in all arenas who are putting into practice the principles of peak performance that will help you close the gap from where you are to where you want to be, to help you become a master of the mental game, and to help you start dominating the day. And this is Brian Kane live with Jeff Jansen of Jansen Peak Performance out of Cary, North Carolina. And I'm sure a lot of listeners to this interview have already been to his fantastic website. It's www.jeffjansen.com. Jeff, thanks for sitting down and taking the time to chat with us today. Really appreciate it. And for the Inner Circle members, most of them are, I'm sure, familiar with your stuff already. But for those who aren't, Jeff is one of the world's leading authorities on leadership development and peak performance. So it's an absolute honor to be able to sit down with him today. But Jeff, could you give us your background in sort of the peak performance industry and how you got to be where you are today as one of the top authorities in the world? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, I mean, I was real privileged to start out at the University of Arizona. I got my master's degree there, and just while we were there, just the stuff we were learning and the experiences we were having just seemed like it it really needed to be shared with the coaches and student-athletes there. So um, Mike Andrea, who's their softball coach and a big baseball kind of guy at heart who's applied a lot of baseball stuff to the softball world very successfully, um, gave me an opportunity to work with his program. And fortunately uh, for me and unfortunately for Coach Olson and his program, that was kind of the early 90s where Arizona men's basketball would end up uh, a pretty a pretty good seed going into the tournament and would end up losing in the first round to some teams that they shouldn't be losing to. So both of those guys gave me an opportunity to work with their programs, and um, fortunately things went very, very well, and they decided to go to the athletic director and um, create a full-time position for me. So I spent eight years with Arizona's athletic department, um, working with all of their different teams and their coaches, and as you might imagine, you learn a tremendous amount during those eight years with those, you know, stellar coaches, and you learn a lot from the programs that are struggling too. So, I did that for eight years, and uh, during that time, there are obviously a lot of schools because you know not everybody has their own sports site consultant. A lot of other schools who said, you know, can you come out and do some workshops for us? So, that eventually got to the point of. Um, being a self-sustaining business and I was fortunate to then um, create my own kind of consulting company. We moved to Cary, North Carolina and uh, just going out to a variety of different schools and uh, fortunately then three years ago the University of North Carolina, their athletic director Dick Bedore decided to create uh, the comprehensive leadership academy called the Carolina Leadership Academy at Carolina. So I get a chance to work with a variety of student athletes there from all sports. We've got a few different levels. We've got a program for freshmen called the Creed Program. We've got a Rising Stars Program, which targets sophomore and junior student athlete emerging leaders. And we spend a year with them trying to teach them what it takes to be a leader and how to gain everyone's respect and step up to be a vocal leader. And then we've got a third program for the veteran leaders because they're the ones who are in the fire and having to deal with all this stuff. And as part of the Leadership Academy, too, we meet regularly with the coaches and do a lot of professional development with them. And also their administrators are involved. And that's gone so well that now there's schools like Stanford and Pitt and Yale and Illinois and some others now who are getting on board with the Leadership Academy concept and finding out that all this training, you can't just do a one-time thing, right. but it's really an ongoing, systematic, comprehensive kind of program. So there's the uh, somewhat brief version of, of <laughs> my background. You know, you, you talked about the, the Carolina Leadership Academy. heard a lot of great stuff about it. Is that academy something that you just do with the Carolina athletes, coaches, and administrators who are 
a part of the UNC athletic department, or is it something where they have a leadership camp in the summer where someone who's a high school athlete or another college athlete or one of the coaches listening to this, that they can send their kids there to get the same type of experience through you? Yeah, right now we don't really have that camp available. I think it's, you know, obviously with the high schools and colleges, you've got kids working and then you've got the whole how do we send these kids there financially and give them some time. So most of my stuff is me going to a particular school um, and doing what I call a leadership summit, where I will spend time with the coaching staff and talk about how best to develop and groom and partner with the leaders, and then usually meeting with a group of 50 or 60 student-athlete leaders from each school from a variety of sports and taking them through a two-hour kind of workshop on what it means to be a leader and how they can step up and be effective. So that's a lot of what I do, but as I mentioned, there's some schools now who are doing taking a more comprehensive approach where I'll be visiting four to ten times throughout the year and, um, and kind of staying in touch that way. You know, some of the things you mentioned about doing, going in and doing a leadership summit, and I know that some of the, uh, the Division I coaches and, and higher-level university coaches that have the opportunity to maybe have the budget to bring you in or some mm-hmm. of the high school coaches that would have that you know, booster club or in their budget to be able to bring a guy in like yourself – what are some of the benefits of the Leadership Academy? I know that, you know, as captains, a lot of times kids are elected captains, but we don't necessarily give them the skills to lead. So I know that your programs are designed to give the kids the skills to lead. What are some of the other benefits that your programs offer? Well, I think the huge benefits are just raising the standards of play. I think coaches are frustrated because it seems like we're the only ones who are trying to drive this whole machine with the attitudes and the chemistry and the commitment. And it seems like, how do we get kids to want it half as badly as we do? And I think when you can get the leaders within the teams and now they're leading it peers, you can just get so much more accomplished. Um, you know, when you when you have kids taking co-ownership of the program and they take pride in what's going on, then they're the ones who are going to be setting and establishing the standards. They're the ones who are going to echo the things that the coaches say out in practice. They're going to echo those in the locker room. They're going to echo those in the weight room. They're going to echo those on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday nights when somebody's about to screw up with something. So I think you've got now somebody embracing your standards. I think when you've got great leaders, you're going to help build a sense of chemistry. They're going to help welcome those younger kids under the wing. You're going to have better... um, you know, just during adversity, you're going to have a leader step up and understand the gravity of the situation and keep the main thing the main thing, as we just talked about yep. uh, with the Vermont leaders here. So um, I, I just think there's so many benefits. And I think there's obviously the competitive benefits when you've got somebody stepping up and leading. But there's also just the things that give coaches and programs black eyes are a lot of times the off the field shenanigans that happen with all the teenage temptations that are out there so if you've got a leader who cares enough about your program and says quit screwing around you're making the rest of us look like an idiot then you're going to have that part hopefully salvaged too and i think obviously all coaches out there are competitive you want to win you want to be successful but at the same time i think coaches want to see that they're making a difference with their kids and when somebody's gone through their program for a couple years they can go on to the next level not just a better athlete but hopefully a better person and i think that's obviously what the leadership stuff hits and if you talk to most coaches and athletic directors and and uh, principals and school presidents they talk about our mission is to develop leaders but yet when you look at it 
all right, what kind of training are these leaders getting other than just hoping that they're going to figure out leadership? I think we've got to be much more systematic and comprehensive in our approach. If we want our kids to be extensions of us, we as leaders, have, as coaches, have to extend ourselves to them. I think that's fantastic, Jeff, what you just mentioned about as athletic directors, you know, our mission and I think any level you're talking about is to develop people to have what I'd say good life skills or good mm-hmm. leadership skills that they can use to be successful after the athletic career. Because for most of the coaches out there, the majority of the people they coach are never going to make a living playing that sport. I right. mean, you know, for the baseball coaches that I talk to at the college level, teaching a kid to hit a fastball or throw a curveball may win a couple games at this level, but they're never, never going to make a living doing that. Very few of them will. Right. You know, so are they getting those skills that are going to help them in the real world? They're probably not, and and I think the question all coaches have to ask them is, are you a coach of success or are you a coach of significance? And obviously a coach of success is somebody who wants to win games and and be competitive, but I think if you look at the real coaches who have a major impact on kids and are the coaches especially that recruits want to go play for, they aren't just coaches of success, they're coaches of significance, which certainly takes into account you're competitive you want to win but you see the bigger picture you see the perspective in it and you see that i'm not just developing sports skills but i am developing leaders and life skills along the way and when the athlete leaves they're not just a piece of meat you know there's somebody who's a person someone who you have a relationship with and i think a lot of times you can see those programs where you have coaches of significance where their athletes come back do their athletes come back do their athletes stay in touch with the coach after they either go on to pro ball or graduate that's a coach of significance. And I think for the coaches exactly. listening to this, how many of your former players still stay in touch with you? Exactly. Because you probably think you're a coach of significance, but the, you know, the, the, the writing is on the wall. If your kids aren't following through with you and maintaining those relationships, then you're probably, your perception of yourself is jaded, similar to what you were talking about today with the right. athletes grading themselves out. Right. Yeah, I mean, I can tell you stories of examples of Hall of Fame coaches who send out invitations to former players for their Hall of Fame banquet induction ceremony, and those players get those invitations and rip them up and throw them in the garbage and think, no way am I going to go honor that person. And I wonder, as that person gets up and gives their acceptance speech and their thank yous, and they look out in the audience, and there's just a scatter or a smattering of their former players and knowing that very few of them actually want to honor how they won, not that they won, but how they won, I just wonder, does that coach really feel like they've been a success? And it's it's a very hollow success. And, and sadly, I think sometimes there's an evolution in a coach's philosophy that when you first start off, you're trying to prove yourself to yourself, to your colleagues, to your administrators, and the success part becomes the major focus. And sometimes you lose track in terms of trying to build your resume and, and move up the coaching ladder that sometimes you lose track of that significance. And it's only until when your career's done sometimes that it smacks you smack dab yeah. in the face that you yeah. wonder, hmm, I wonder if I would have done things exactly the way I did earlier. Huh. You know, I love how you're talking about the, the difference between success and significance. And I know we have, we have a common bond through Ken Revisa, and mm-hmm. one of the things that he always would talk to us about, and I think it came through Dr. Tom Osborne, who was a football coach in Nebraska, is he always said there's a difference between success and winning. And just because you win a game doesn't mean that you are successful. Yeah. I think that ties in with what you're talking about. Am I right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, if you talk to a lot of coaches, a lot of times they'll say my best coaching job wasn't necessarily my championship yeah. years. Yeah. 
when they take a look at sometimes putting a team together that may not have had a whole lot of talent or had a lot of dissension and grabbing the duct tape and seeing what we can do to piece together something, (laughs) sometimes those are the most satisfying times for coaches. And and I was just out at um, Stanford, and Dick Gould, who's their tennis coach, won, I think, I don't know, 17, 18 national championships with their men's program said a, an interesting thing that I've heard other people say as well is they said I became a better coach after I won my first national championship because I wasn't so consumed in making that happen that I had a better perspective and Mike Andrea who I mentioned before the softball coach at Arizona has often said I wish I could give every coach out there a national championship right away so that then they could have their perspectives and their priorities in order and go from there rather than desperately getting on the the wheel like a hamster and running and running to try to chase something that they may never get. And then even if they do get there, is it the end-all, be-all that you think it was? And I think Stephen Covey's the guy who said, be careful when you're frantically trying to get up that ladder um, to success, make sure it's up against the right wall. Yeah. Because when you get up there at top, it may not be all it's cracked up to be. You know, and I love what you mentioned about how Candrea said, I, I wish everyone could win that national championship earlier, and how he says, you know, I've become a better coach after winning the national championship. And guess what? Mike Candrea continues and will continue to win national championships. Exactly. And Augie Garrido, the head baseball coach at the University of Texas, who was mm. the head baseball coach at Cal State Fullerton, has won five national championships spanning four decades. And the thing that Augie said after they won their first national championship was, is this it? Is yeah. this all there is? Yeah. And I think until you get there, you know, you wonder, well, yeah, there's, you know, there's going to be something there. Uh-huh. But I think another reason why those coaches like Augie and Coach Candrea continue to be successful is that they've gotten there and they realize exactly what you're talking about. It's about coaching for significance. Mm-hmm. And through coaching for significance comes the end result success. And, and that's what I think a lot of coaches miss is if you coach through significance, you're more likely to get the success that you exactly. want as well. Because exactly. your kids are going to run through a wall for you because they know you've got their best interest at heart, that you care about them as individuals, and that you're not that piece of meat that, hey, we're going to use you for a couple of years while we've got you. And then sayonara and we'll take the next group in. I, you know, you look at some of the best coaches out there and, and Greg Dale, who's a colleague of mine, uh, got to a couple of years ago write a book called the seven secrets of successful coaches and we purposely took a look at coaches who not just won but won the respect of their student athletes in the process and you know those coaches really do have a big impact on their kids and when it comes time to recruiting and and parents take a look at is this a person i want to send my kid to for the next four years then certainly these aspects take into account and i think the other question that as you were talking about before is if you've played for someone do you want your son or daughter to go play for that person would you send them back there because of the experience that you had yeah you, know, you mentioned the book that you and, and, and Dr. Dale wrote together, and I've read that book, The Seven C's of Successful Coaches. Mm-hmm. Could you talk to the listeners at home? I know a lot of them probably haven't have read it, but for those maybe who haven't, what are the seven C's? And, and talk about that book a little bit because it's fantastic. Well, thank you. I'll, I'll see if I can remember them all here, but I, th- <laughs> I, I talk about it enough, so they should be in there. Um, number one is character. I think you know all of these, as we, as we interviewed coaches and athletes to put this book together, obviously you've got to be a person of character. You've got to be trustworthy. You've got to be honest in your approach, and you've got to win the right way. It's, it's not about, as we were talking about before, winning at all costs, but winning the right way. 
Um, certainly commitment is a big part of that, that if you want your kids to work hard, you've got to be setting that standard. You've got to be planning practices. You've got to be trying to get better in every single way. And obviously your coaches listening here have, have made an investment in getting better. So hopefully they've got that taken care of. Uh, third one is competent. You've got to know what you're talking about. You don't have to be the world's foremost expert in pitching or catching or hitting or anything like that, but you at least got to have a solid knowledge of what you're talking about if you expect kids to listen to you. Um, caring is another huge one that you've got to show the kids. It's the old saying that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, and it's all the relationship-building stuff that uh, the coaches have to do off the field. Again, going back to Candre, I can remember him saying there were times where he'd have a two, two-and-a-half-hour practice, and he'd say the most important part of the day was the five minutes after practice that he ended up talking to somebody and making a huge breakthrough with someone. That was the biggest breakthrough that they had, even though they just spent two hours physically doing some stuff. So there's the caring part of it. Another one is a confidence builder. I think so many people go through ups and downs with their confidence. And as a coach, you've got to show them that you're right behind them. I think that's what Joe Torre does so well with the Yankees for so many years that um, I forget who exactly it was, but one of his pitchers one time said, no matter how bad you're throwing, you know that Joe's not going to give up on you. He's going to be in your corner no matter what, whereas sometimes coaches and our egos we have a tendency if somebody's not playing well we kind of distance ourselves yep. from them and that's the don't last thing. yeah exactly that's the last thing that that person needs and, and now they don't respect you in that process too um and going along with this one another one of the c's is communicator obviously you've got to be able to communicate and relate well but a huge part of that is the whole listening thing and and finding out where people are coming from first before you tell them exactly what you think they need to do and you find out, well, that's not exactly where they're coming from. And then the last one that we talk about is just a sense of consistency, both in terms of your overall philosophy. doesn't mean you're not going to adapt to certain personnel, but having certain things that you're known for, kind of a brand to use marketing uh, terminology there. And the other consistency is just in your moods and your attitude and not letting the highs get too high or the lows get too low. If you've got a three-game win streak, hopefully you're a similar coach to some degree as when you've got a three-game losing streak and and not having a Jekyll and Hyde kind of approach because then kids don't know what to expect from you. So I don't think you need to be perfect on all those, but I think when recruits look at programs and certainly when student-athletes decide, am I going to buy in this guy or am I not, those seven things, either consciously or unconsciously, are things that we all kind of evaluate and if you've got those seven things for you, going for you, I think you've got credibility as a coach. And when you've got credibility as a coach, a leader, a teacher, a president, whatever it may be, you will have people's buy-in, engagement, commitment, all those fun words that you need to have a successful program. And I think one of the things that coaches can do, and, and you do this in your book, is it gives them tools to evaluate how they do in the seven C's. And it's a self-evaluation, and then most importantly is they give an evaluation form to their kids or their athletes, and their athletes get to evaluate the coaching staff. If the coach can put the ego aside and be willing to do it, those seven C's, and then they can start to make some real breakthroughs as a coach. And once they break through as a coach, guess what? The program and the kids are going to follow. I agree. I mean, a lot of times when I work with coaches and programs, the coaches are frustrated, and it's like, okay, fix my team chemistry or fix my kids. They're not mentally (laughs) tough and all that. And certainly there are areas that need to be worked on, but a lot of times if coaches might make a little adjustment in their coaching strategy, it's amazing what it does to the coachability of the kids because they're a lot more receptive to what's going on. So, you know, as, as coaches, I always ask coaches, you know, imagine 
could a player get any better if you never give them any feedback? If you never watched any video with the kid and what was going well, if you never gave them feedback on their swing, how much better is that kid going to get throughout the course of a year? And, and, and they all know, you know, the kid's not going to develop. It's the same thing as coaches. If you never get any feedback from your staff members or if you never give any feedback from the kids that you're actually working with, finding out what's connecting with them, what's not connecting with them, and, and you're not going to let the inmates run the asylum, but you are hopefully going to check in with those kids and find out what is working so that obviously you can repeat that stuff and try to make some adjustments to the stuff that just isn't connecting with with the kids that you have in your program. Uh, like the fact you talked about, if, the, if we if, as, as coaches, as coaches, if we never gave our kids feedback, we could not expect them to get any better. Yet as coaches, how do we get feedback so that we can improve? I know you talked about the seven C's of successful coaches. What are some of the other products that you've got? I know you've got a great line of books and some manuals and some videos. What are some of those other products that coaches could get to find ways to improve themselves in their coaching of peak performance, team building, leadership, mental game type stuff? Yeah, I think obviously you mentioned the seven secrets one, and that's where we get a chance to interview some of sports' greatest coaches. Um, Roy Williams, the basketball coach of Carolina, Mike Krzyzewski, the the Carolina Duke rivalry, Um, Pat Summit's in there, Mike Candrea, who I mentioned before, Jerry Yeagley, who is the uh, Indiana men's soccer coach. They won six national championships. Mary Wise, who's the Florida volleyball coach haven't won a national championship but doesn't mean she's obviously not a credible coach has been to several final fours um mike gillespie who was at usc so um a lot of just really great coaches who have won their student athletes respect along the way um we've got the championship team building book where you take a look at what does it mean if a team's got great team chemistry and again there i don't know if it's a if it's a thing I have with sevens and the letter C, but there's kind of seven characteristics <laughs> that I have people evaluate their team on in terms of complementary roles, uh, commitments in there, constructive conflict, cohesion. I mean, there's a variety of different things that coaches can use to try to evaluate where they are, and then depending upon how that evaluation goes, and there's a variety of practical things that they can implement with their team. And, and Mike Fox, who we talked about a little bit before, is the baseball coach at Carolina, gave up last season in their fall ball every Wednesday he said I hated doing it as a coach because I thought we were missing time on the field but every Wednesday he dedicated time to some simple team building things that they could do as a team and he said at the time I was really reluctant because you know are we falling behind he said it's the best thing they absolutely ever did and as he looked at last year's roster certainly they had some very talented players but he said you know what years passed I've had some more talented teams, but what this team had was chemistry. They had something special, and they not only played for for them individually, but they played for each other. And that, he felt, was a real key to their success last year. And because he invested the time during fall ball and certainly carried it over to spring to do some team-building stuff. So. Mike Fox being the head baseball coach at North Carolina who competed for a national championship and ended up at losing to Oregon State, and, you know, it was a great series. But yeah. they gave up every Wednesday in the fall to do team building To activities. do some team building stuff. Was it something that they, were the activities that Mike did, or did you go in and do the activities with the team? How did, I know, I'm sure he communicated with you either way. How did that work? Yeah, well, I mean, I've got a, what's called a peak performance playbook that goes right along with that championship team building book. So some of the stuff he would take from there, I've got a website called the teamcaptainsnetwork.com. So 
he and his assistants had access to that, where, again, there's a lot of different stuff. So they would do a lot of them. Um, and sometimes it was just simple things as, hey, let's all go bowling together. So it was just a time for them as players to really get to know each other away from the field and start developing, develop some bonds and connections that would really come and help them get through at Omaha as well. So all that off-the-field team-building stuff translates to the field which I think a lot of times people don't know if that's going to happen. I think that does happen. Well, it's an investment. And as Coach Fox said, you know, initially he was reluctant. Hey, we're missing all this on-the-field time. And a lot of times by uh, its old Stephen Covey stuff with his seven habits, by sharpening the saw, by doing some things that may not have an immediate impact right now on what you're doing on the field, you're starting to set a foundation for that chemistry, and you're going to end up seeing that pay off for you later down the road because you're sharpening the saw of your team's chemistry and it'll pay off later beautiful running long here we've got about 24 minutes down for the interview last question or two two more questions for okay. you, jeff um you mentioned when you were to arizona you had an opportunity to learn from some of the great great coaches you mentioned mike candrea lou dolson uh some of the other coaches you had the opportunity to work with in north carolina what would you say to a young coach or to a young say peak performance coach sports psychology guy mm-hmm. if you knew then what you know now, what would you do differently? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a great question. I, I think a lot of it is just finding a mentor that you respect or mentors that you respect. And I think especially when you're a young coach, sometimes you try to be those other people. And that's not always going to work for you because you've got your own unique style. You've got your own unique ways of doing things. So I think find a mentor learn from them not only what is working but hopefully you're going to find a few things that when i'm in a position to be a coach or a leader i may do things a little bit differently and just try to soak up as much information from them in the sporting world don't be afraid to go to coaches from other sports i mean carolina's got anson dorrance who's won an amazing 19 national championships if you can't learn something from him in the process, then, then I don't know, you know who you can learn from, but there are so many experienced coaches, usually on a coaching staff, that you can learn from along the way. And I've always been an insatiable reader. I think, you know, what better thing to do that when people put all of their best ideas into either, you know, a book or a video or an audio or something like that and learn from their experience and just pulling one idea out that you can use is going to be critical. So I, I think the biggest thing is being a sponge. One thing that we've started at Carolina is we call it a fast track for assistant coaches. And we've got so many great head coaches at Carolina that what we do on a periodic basis is we bring the assistant coaches in and we have the head coaches share leadership lessons that they learned along the way and what they did to get in their positions, what jobs they may have turned down along the way and why they turned those down, how they've assembled the staff, what they did in that interview to get people to hire them, um, the biggest mistakes they've made and what they've learned from them. So I think the more you can do this stuff informally or if you're fortunate to be in an athletic department where you can do stuff formally, then I think the better off you're going to be. Awesome. You mentioned that you know all the products that you have are available at jeffjansen.com. You mentioned that you love to read. Your top three books that you would recommend people read other than oh, other man. than the ones that you've authored. Oh, man. <laughs> um, 
Well, there is on my, on my website. I think it's on the business side, the jeffjansen.com. I've got my top 10 coaches okay. books that are on Beautiful. there. Um, but Wooden's, I think, is a great one. The little lifetime of observations yep. on and off the court. Yep. That one's spectacular. Um, Anson Dorrance, it's, it's not by Anson, but it's called The Man Watching, where a Sports Illustrated writer, Tim Carruthers, spent four years embedded in Anson's program. It's called The Man Watching, an amazing book. And I really like Rick Pitino's um, Lead to Succeed. You know, whatever you feel about Rick Pitino and his career, I think his book is really, really good, especially from a leadership standpoint. So the lead to succeed, he's got success as a choice as well, too. But those would be three that that uh, I would definitely put toward the top of the list. Awesome. And I, and I would add to those lists the books that Jeff has. Jeff, those are available at, at www.jeffjansen.com. If any of the coaches here listening to this interview wanted to bring you in to speak to their teams or to work with their teams or you know, maybe if you, I don't know if you do one-on-one co- coach coaching over the phone or through email, what are some ways for people to get a hold of you to get some more of this great information and knowledge that you have to offer? Yeah, I think the website, as you mentioned, um, Jeff at jeffjansen.com. There's two S's in Jansen there is uh, my email address, and then we've got an 800 number, too. It's actually one 721 team T-E-A-M, so 888-721-TEAM. Um, those are simple ways to get a hold of me, and uh, yeah, I'd love to come out and spend some time. Uh, and a lot of what I do, as we were sharing before, is a lot of leadership academies for coaches and a variety of student-athlete leaders to develop the leaders that you're going to need to succeed. Awesome. That's in the phone number, just so make sure we got them right, is 888-721-TEAM. That's T-E-A-M. And Jeff at jeffjansen.com. You got it. Well, thanks for this opportunity. Jeff, thank you, man. And for the listeners back home, guys, I just spent two hours listening to Jeff talk to the best student athletes the state of Vermont has to offer. If you're serious about coaching for significance and want to take your athletes from a leadership perspective to another level, Jeff's the guy that can do it. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. Today's podcast is sponsored by Potential Apparel. Potential Apparel is on a mission to inspire athletes to reach their true potential. If you're serious about reaching yours, then you have to go check them out. They make awesome clothing for dedicated and committed athletes. I'm a huge supporter of what they're doing, and that's why I wear their clothing with pride. Make a statement and join the movement today at PotentialApparel.com. Be sure you use promo code Brian Kane with a space between Brian and Kane for 15% off on your first order. Dominate the day with Potential Apparel. Thanks for listening to the Brian Kane Peak Performance Podcast. Please make sure that you visit briancane.com. That's B-R-I-A-N-C-A-I-N.com. And sign up for my Monday message, where every Monday I deliver straight to your inbox videos, interviews, articles, tips, techniques, and strategies that you can use to master the mental game. You can also contact me through my website on our Contact Us page and see my calendar of where I'm going to be in the country and when I'm coming to your area so that we can get together and that we can continue to go out there and dominate the day. This is a production of Corn Belt Sports. The Brian Kane Peak Performance Podcast is part of the Top Coach Network.